You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. We've been kind of in this series looking at the Gospel of Matthew, and it's the very first book in the New Testament, and we've kind of been talking about the uniqueness of Matthew's Gospel. Unlike other Gospels that kind of begin with the birth of Jesus, Matthew kind of begins his Gospel in a very, very unique way. He doesn't begin by talking about Mary and Joseph, angels, the star, uh, the manger, the, the, the birth of the baby Jesus. He begins with a genealogy. Matthew begins his gospel by kind of talking about a family tree. And when Matthew sat down and he kind of began to outline and write out the family tree, the lineage of Jesus, not only does Matthew include everyone that you would expect him to include, those that the Jewish audience would have been looking for names and families to make sure that Jesus is related to all of the right people, Matthew also kind of goes out of his way to highlight people that were an embarrassment to the family. So as Matthew's kind of writing out the family tree of Jesus and he's listing the fathers and the sons, Matthew kind of goes out of his way and he adds in the names of some women he really didn't need to mention. And three out of those four women were really an embarrassment to the family. As a matter of fact, if you were really trying to make a solid case that Jesus was divine, that he was God in human flesh, if it were me, if it were you writing that gospel, we would probably just mention and highlight all of the righteous people, the good people, the holy people, all the people you would expect God to use to bring his son into the world. Now, Matthew, on the other hand, and probably with a grin on his face, he makes sure that his audience then and now doesn't miss the fact that Jesus had some real misfits in his genealogy. There are some R-rated stories associated with getting Jesus born into the world. There are some men and women that are related to Jesus that you would not have chosen, I would not have chosen. But Matthew highlights them and God specifically, intentionally chose and used them. And in choosing them, I believe God is trying to send us a message. In fact, I think it is the message of Christmas that God did not go out of his way to find the best people through whom to introduce us to Jesus that God did not go out of his way to find people who maybe had a righteous platform that was, you know, maybe people who were, you know, had a reputation of being holy and good. God didn't go out and look for all the people who kind of had their act together. He doesn't find the consistent people. He doesn't find all of the holy people. 
And in fact, in some cases, as we saw last week, if you were here, God goes out of his way to avoid some of the best people, the people you would expect God to use. He kind of goes out of his way not to use them, but to use people we would never expect God to use. So today we're gonna talk about one of those people that are related to Jesus, that are a part of his family tree. And Matthew 1.1 begins this way. It says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of King David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. We talked about that last week. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. Their mother was Tamar, R-rated story. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. His mother was Rahab. I briefly mentioned last week Rahab had a nickname. Anybody remember that nickname? Rahab the harlot. Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the whore. Nicknames are nothing new. As a matter of fact, the Bible's full of nicknames. John the Baptist. John the Beloved. Uriah the Hittite. I mean, in history, is full of people who had nicknames as well. Let's see how many of we, you can fill in the blanks of some of these famous nicknames. Alexander the Great. Attila the Hun. Conan the... Yeah, Dora the Explorer. Yes, yes. So you understand that there are a lot of times people have things that are associated with their names, and it usually relates to something they've accomplished, something they're known for, something that's positive and uplifting and virtuous. But imagine if you're Rahab, and every time somebody reads the Bible and runs across her name, they say, oh yeah, Rahab the harlot. And this is the person, tongue in cheek, with a big grin on his face, Matthew's going, whose mother was, and don't forget, Rahab. And everybody else kind of just fills in the blank. Let me tell you who this message is for today. It's for all of us. But let me tell you who this message is going to speak to, I think, on a very powerful and a very personal level. And it's all of us who have a past. You have a past. Maybe people don't know about your past. Maybe you've done a really good job of keeping it covered up. Some of us may have a past we hope our spouse never finds out about. Some of us may have a past that we hope our current employer never finds out about. Some of you have a past, and for some of you that past is very embarrassing. And maybe in your mind, some of you are known as John the fill in the blank. 
Maybe when people hear your name, Phil, they fill in the blank with something that's not very positive. Or you're Betty the and fill in the blank. Something that is associated with your name, something that indicates a part of your past. And because you have a past, a past that maybe you're not too proud of, your relationship with God is kind of like this. You believe there's a God. You believe there's a heaven. Maybe you're here this morning and you kind of maybe have some thoughts or some ideas about Jesus, but because of the things in your past, maybe because of a former lifestyle, whenever you start thinking about God or church, there is just this distance. Maybe you kind of are, are stiff-arming God because of your past. You stiff-arm God or you distance yourself from God because you just can't reconcile your past with him. And there's something in you that, that maybe says, you know what, if I could ever just get my life together, if I could just become a better person, if I could ever just become a more righteous person, if ever I could just maybe build a platform of personal righteousness and good deeds, then, then, maybe, possibly, I could connect with God. Maybe I would even be able to, you know, pray such formal prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. But here's the good news that I want you to hear this morning. And I think it is the message of Christmas. And the message is this, your sin in your mind, your past in your mind, maybe has distanced you from God but the story of Christmas is this, your sin doesn't distance God from you. And by the end of this message, some of you may kind of be able to identify with Rahab and identify with what God has done to the least of these. And realize that the invitation, the purpose, the point of Christmas is an invitation, an open, wide invitation to sinners. It's an invitation to people like you and me, people with a past. That maybe when we think about that past causes us to feel embarrassment and shame. Joshua chapter two is where Rahab's story begins. And here's how the story goes. Moses is dead and he hands Joshua the leadership mantle to Israel. And he says, Joshua, you are now in charge of the nation of Israel. I brought them as far as I can take them. God is gonna use you now to move them forward. And they're camping by the river Jordan and they're about to go in and to invade and conquer Canaan. And God has specifically told the nation of Israel, you go into Canaan and you destroy these people. I have given them chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity, generation after generation to turn to me and repent, and they have rejected me and they have rejected my ways. And so in preparation of that, Joshua sends in two spies. And the first city they go to is the city of Jericho. 
and somehow they're able to get inside the city undetected and they're spying out the city. And as they're doing that, somebody sees them. And these two spies quickly duck into a house along the wall to hide. And once they get inside this house, they realize they have ducked into the home of a woman who is a prostitute and her name is Rahab. And it's not just her home, it's a lodge. So they're inside the lodge of Rahab, the prostitute, and they begin to have a conversation with her. And Rahab immediately recognizes these men are not Canaanites. Rahab was a Canaanite. She recognizes you're not one of us. And she discovers they're Jewish. And instead of turning them in, she says to them, you know what? We knew you were coming. We have heard that you were coming and now I've got to hide you. And so Rahab takes them up onto the roof and there she hides them under some flack. Not too long after that, there's a knock on the door and Rahab answers the door and there are a couple of soldiers there and they say to her, we heard that there are two men from Israel, that they're here and we want you to bring them out to us. And Rahab tells the soldiers they were here and right before sunset, before the gate locked, they left on their way. And then Rahab goes upstairs and has this conversation with these two Israelite spies. In Joshua chapter two, verses eight to 11, it says, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk to them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. In other words, Rahab says, your God is more powerful and bigger than our God. And I believe in your God. I know our God. I know his limitations. I choose your God. She says, as a matter of fact, I have more confidence in the two of you and your God than I have in this entire city with its armies, its king, and its history. And so Rahab continues in verse 12. She says, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. So they kind of make a deal with Rahab. And they say, because of your kindness to us, and because of your faith in our God, when we get here to the land to invade it, we're going to spare you and your family. And so sure enough, the two spies go back and they say to Joshua, it's our time. 
We need to go now and we need to conquer Jericho. So in Joshua chapter 6, the army of Israel invades the city of Jericho. And a lot of you are familiar with that story because they march once around the city for six days. And then the seventh day, they march around Jericho seven times. At the end of that seventh time around, it says they blew the trumpet and it says the walls came tumbling down. You got to understand the walls of Jericho were very, very thick walls. It's not like a wall we would have here that's very thin. These are, these are walls that were thick enough that they could actually do chariot races on them. That's how, that's how thick these walls were. And it says when they blew that trumpet, those very thick walls began to fall down. You begin to get the picture. The walls are falling Israel's army is invading. They're coming over the walls. There's bloodshed. There's chaos. There's confusion. There's gore. It's loud. It's burning. There is just chaos erupting everywhere. Joshua says in verse 22 through 26, and then Joshua said to the spies, and this is interesting to me, in the midst of all that's happening, all of the chaos, the confusion, the bloodshed, the gore, I, the, the, the dust. I mean, everything that's happening. Joshua says, keep your promise. He says to those two spies, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with her family. The two spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the city and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Now again, here's the picture I just don't know that I can adequately describe to you. Again, there's chaos, there's fire, there's blood, there is warfare like we can't even imagine. And in the midst of all of that chaos and that destruction and fear, God reaches in and God says, I'm going to spare Rahab and her family. In the midst of all of this chaos and this destruction and this mayhem, God remembers his promise. Not because she's good. Not because Rahab repented. Not because she turned away from her sin. We don't even know that she recognized that what she was doing was sinful. But God remembers her. And he honors his promise to her because she recognized who he was. And in the midst of the chaos and the destruction, God spares Rahab and her family and he sets them outside the camp of the nation of Israel. Now, I don't know because the Bible doesn't really tell us but I'm, I'm just kind of wondering, as Matthew's kind of writing out this 
genealogies. He's kind of filling out the family tree of Jesus there and says, whose mother was Rahab. If he didn't just pause so he could think to himself, and that is the message I hope my audience catches as they read about the life of Jesus the Savior. That into a world that deserved judgment, and into a world that was chaotic, and into a world where people were constantly misidentifying and misunderstanding God, and were trying to build platforms of righteousness, and nobody was getting it right, that into that world, God reached in, not because of good works, not because of good deeds, not because of good people, but simply because of who God is, because of his grace and his mercy. God plucked out Rahab and her family God plucked out Matthew, the tax collector, and God plucks out you and me. And the Bible says this is so strange that when they got Rahab and her family out of Jericho, they didn't know what to do with her. They were considered to be the enemy. They're Canaanites. These are Israelites. We were sent in to destroy them, but God saved them. And now we have Rahab the prostitute and her family. And the Bible says they can't live among us. They got to live outside the camp. And so they say to Rahab and her family, you can't live amongst us. You can't camp with us because the law says so. And we don't know what to do with you. So why don't you just camp over here? Because you can't be a part of our nation. God said you shouldn't have even lived and now God delivered you. He plucked you and your family out. And we don't know what to do with you. We're so confused. And God in his grace, love, and mercy says, and that's the point of Christmas. Because I am the God with rules. I am the God of laws. I am the God of judgment. But I'm also the God of grace and of mercy and of forgiveness and I can't help but be who I am because part of who I am is I am the God who looks for ways to redeem people with a past so they can have a relationship with me. There's a gap in the story, so let me just quickly fill in the gap. They destroyed Jericho and Israel goes over the countryside and they're just conquering all kinds of lands and cities and towns. And meanwhile, Rahab and her family, they just kind of have to pick up camp and just kind of keep following the nation of Israel wherever they go. Well, the Bible says that one day there was a guy named Salmon and he sees Rahab the harlot. And he says to her, hey, can we do lunch? They have lunch. And then he says, hey, can we do dinner? And they have dinner. And before you know it, this guy's in love with Rahab, the helper. This isn't right because he's not supposed to marry anyone who's not Jewish because God's laws are clear. So here's what happened. Solomon married Rahab. And now you get the picture. You have a million or more Jews. Lots of families. Lots of couples, 
Lots of people getting married at that time. God could have picked among any of the hundreds of families and said, you know what? It's through your family that I'm going to bring the Messiah. Or it's through your family that I'm going to use to be a part of the family tree of Jesus. There are lots and lots of choices. And yet for some reason, God says, hey, let's pick Salmon and Rahab the helper. And let's make them the link to Jesus. So they got married. They had a son. His name was Boaz, who met and married a woman whose name was Ruth. They had a son named Obed, who got married and had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David, who became the king of Israel. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have even invited Rahab to my Christmas party. But God says, I'm going to make her an integral, specific, intentional part of the Christmas story. You know what? I think it's the perfect choice. Because her story, in a lot of ways, is our story. Men and women condemned by God because of our sin. Saved by God through the life and death of his son, Jesus Christ. God didn't change his standard. God doesn't change his character. But in his grace, in his mercy, and in his loving kindness, he rescues us with a past. And he gives to us what we do not deserve. Rahab is a perfect example of God's laws and judgment and God's grace and mercy coming together. And as Matthew is, again, filling out that family tree of Jesus, he's thinking, and that's what I hope they remember about the Savior I'm going to write about. Again, it's not more of the same. It's not the Old Testament part two. It's not more laws. It's a completely different way. And it's a perfect story because if you're here this morning and you have a past, a past you're not too proud of, and maybe you've used your past as an excuse to avoid or not face God, maybe you've used your past as an excuse maybe to remain alienated from God, to stiff arm God, maybe to even just stay in your sin, it's Christmas. And the message of Christmas is about God sending his son into a world, not that's got it all together, not into the nation of Israel that's gotten its act together. The story of Christmas is about God sending his son into a very dark world that desperately needed a savior. That God sent his son into a world that wasn't ready, that didn't recognize him, that never repented, that never got its act together. And here's the great news of Christmas. Your past and your present will not stay God's hand from reaching and forgiving and loving and accepting you. See, maybe you used your past as an excuse to keep your distance from God because for you, 
Your past, your sin may be a problem when it comes to connecting with God, but your past, your secret past, your sins are not a problem for God connecting to you. Some of us keep God at an arm's length because we are afraid if God ever gets a hold of us, he's gonna punish us. Let me just clue you in on something. If God wanted to punish you, he doesn't need to wait for you to look his direction. You need to understand this. The message of Christmas is this. The reason God is pursuing a relationship with you isn't to deliver you your punishment, but to deliver you from your punishment. When Christ died for us, he was punished for our sins. When Jesus hung on the cross, the Bible says that every sin, past, present, and future sin, that includes ours, that God took all of that and put it upon his son. And when he died, he died for that sin. And he was resurrected to demonstrate to us that God was pleased with his sacrifice. That when we put our faith and trust in him, it says we become the righteousness of God. Meaning that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, because he's taken our sin, it leaves us as if we've never sinned. That's what it means to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be in right standing with God. That when we become a Christian, when God looks at us, he sees Christ in us. He doesn't see our sins. He doesn't see our past. He doesn't see our mistakes and our failures. He sees Jesus alive and living in us. And to spend your life running from God, to spend your life using your past, to spend your life using your current situation as an excuse not to connect with God is to flee from the one who wants to give you eternal life, forgiveness, to save you from the punishment you know in your heart you deserve. The story of Rahab is such a perfect introduction to Christmas because it's a reminder that God saves sinners while they're still sinners, not after we've gotten our act together. Let me just close with this. This is my favorite part. Rahab the harlot is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. And the good news is, if God can use her to accomplish his plans and his purposes. Just imagine how God could use you and I to accomplish his plans and his purposes if we would just simply say, yes, Lord Jesus, I repent. I accept the free gift of salvation that your death on the cross purchased for me. It unleashes a whole new potential of possibilities. Christ in you. Christ in me, the Bible says, the hope 
of glory. We have the hope of glory in us if Christ is living in us. And that is the greatest gift of Christmas. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Father, again, we just thank you so much for the example of what you've done with the life of a woman who had a very, very sordid past, who had a very, very horrendous reputation. And God, none of that stopped you. None of that prevented you from being you and doing what only you can do. And Father, this morning, I just pray for those of us who maybe have past that we're not so proud of. And maybe how we've allowed those past to complicate and to strain our relationship with you. And Father, just how you were not unable to connect with Rahab because of her past, but rather, Father, you were able to use that And Father, this morning, I just pray that if there are people here this morning that have a past, that God, they're using that past to run from you rather than to you because they're afraid, God, of what you're gonna do. I pray this morning, Father, that they would see through what Jesus came to do for us on the cross that you've come this morning to save us from that past, to redeem those failures, those mistakes, to weave it, to use it all for good, as your word says, that you cause all things, our past, our secrets, our failures, our mistakes, that you use all things together for good to those who love you, to those who are called according to your purpose. So Father, I pray our past mistakes, our failures, God, would never get in the way of loving you and allowing you, God, to use those, to redeem those, to use those for good in our life and in the life of others. We thank you for the good that came from Rahab's life, Father, for the example, the testimony, the witness that she provides to us. And Father, the hope that what you did for her, you can do for us, that nothing is impossible with you. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here... Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.